I love food. I love it, but you already knew that, right? That's no surprise to you. I'm sure that some of you have thought that I became a pastor, or at least one of the reasons I became a pastor was so that I could put potlucks on our calendar. You know, those wonderful events where the people I love bring the food I love to the place I live. It's great. I can stumble downstairs from my bedroom to see a scrumptious buffet laid out on our dining room table. It's a dream come true. (laughs) Well, while I do talk a lot about food, there are other things I love. I love my wife, Gloria. I love our kids. I love this church. I love sports. But over the past few weeks, I've realized once again that I love preaching God's word. I love it, and I've missed it. I love opening up God's Word and studying it and then heralding the good news. I love presenting God's Word to God's people. I love it, and it's an incredible honor and a privilege uh, to do so. And that's why at Redeemer, we let the Scripture do the talking on Friday mornings. We don't preach man's ideas, but we practice expository preaching as we preach through books of the Bible and we preach that the point of the passage is the point of our sermons. And we do this because we believe the entire Bible is the inerrant word of God. It's also why we don't shy away from any particular portion of Scripture. So that's why we preach the book of Psalms, but we also preach the epistle to the Philippians. That's why we preach the prophecies of Isaiah, but we also preach the gospel of Mark. Oftentimes it means preaching on things that aren't quite as popular, but things that are good for our souls. And so it's great to be preaching again at Redeemer, and I look forward to doing it over the next five weeks and uh, hopefully for years to come. Though like you, I've been encouraged by the wonderful preaching at this church in the past few weeks. It's a blessing that we have so many men who are capable of preaching God's word accurately and passionately. I was greatly blessed to sit and savor the Bible in these last few weeks under their teaching. Well, in these last several weeks, I've been busy doing other things in the church, but I have had a a few extra minutes here and there to meditate on the passage for this morning. And in some ways, I can relate to one of the characters in our story today. It's a man who perhaps couldn't carry his books or open doors, and he could never carry his children. He couldn't do these things because he was a leper. But something dramatic happens to him in the story. He comes face to face with the king of the world. So why don't you turn with me to the Gospel of Mark so we can look at the story. Mark is the second book of the New Testament, and a gospel is simply a historical account of the life of Jesus. So what we've been doing for the last five weeks and what we'll continue to do is look at the life of Jesus on earth. And today we'll be looking at chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. Just six verses. I'll begin reading in verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. 
Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Well, what we've seen so far in these past several weeks in the book of Mark is that Jesus has proclaimed that the kingdom of God is near. This spiritual kingdom where God rules over his people. And he urges them all to repent and believe in the good news. Then last week, Jesus showed us what the kingdom is like. It's a wonderful kingdom. It looks like overthrowing of demons. It's a kingdom that looks like the healing of the sick. It involves prayer and teaching. And then today, in our story, it it involves the healing of a leper. What What Mark is doing here is highlighting to us that the king has come. That Jesus is the king of the world. That's the point of the Bible. It's the point of the gospel of Mark. And it's the point of our passage today. It's that Jesus Christ is the king. Mark says, look at the way he talks. He's the king. Look at the way he heals. He's the king. Look at the way he casts out demons. He's the king. He's the king. He's the king. That's what Mark is trying to tell us today. That's the point of the passage. Maybe for some of you this is new. Maybe for some of you you've created another king in your life. Maybe it's another system or another perceived God. Or maybe you're the king in your life. Maybe you've even been coming to church for a while and you've been wrestling with this, not wanting to remove yourself off the throne of your life. Well, I encourage you today as we look at this great king to meditate on him. Because he's not just a nice guy. He's not merely a prophet or a man or a good teacher. No, he is the king, the anointed Messiah, come to rescue us from our sins. And this morning we're going to see four things about this king. And that will serve as our outline this morning. Four things. One, the king has compassion. Two, the king has authority. Three, the king has humility. And four, the king has affliction. Compassion, authority, humility, and affliction. That'll be our outline. So let's look first at the king's compassion. Verse 40 says that a leper came to Jesus. Now in biblical times, there were 70 different kinds of leprosy as it referred to an entire group of skin diseases. If you want some good bedtime reading material, you can flip back to Leviticus 13 and 14. It reads like a dermatology manual on how to deal with these infirmities. Two whole chapters. Now, we don't know what particular variation of leprosy that this leper had, but Luke, in the same account, says that this man was full of leprosy. And in light of his desperate plea for Christ to heal him, most think that he had a terrible form of this disease. Now this terrible disease would ravage your whole body. 
It was a bacteria that first would attack your skin and then would go underneath your skin to attack your nerves. And at some point, your whole limb would be unable to feel a thing. It would lose all sensations. Your whole body would begin to fall apart. Your bones would shrivel until you destroyed your limbs completely. It could cause blindness. Your teeth could fall out. And eventually, it would eat your whole body and you would die. There was no cure. But leprosy wasn't simply a disease. Socially, you were not allowed to be in inhabited places, but it had to live in the desert. You lost everything. The very moment a priest declared that you had leprosy, you were kicked out of the city and taken to the desert. This man in our story lost his job. He lost his family. He lost fellowship with others. Everything was taken away from him. Now put yourself in his shoes for just a minute. He had to say goodbye to his kids, if he had them, never to tuck them into bed again, never to give them a hug or a kiss for the rest of his life. Now I can't imagine not hugging my daughters, Eliza and Nora, anymore. I'm constantly begging them for hugs. Every time they walk by my office, I'm yelling for them to come on in. Sometimes I chase, chase them just so I can grab a hug and a kiss. You know, there's something that melts a father's heart when he hugs and kisses his child. But this leper lived without any touch from his family, without any touch from his friends. And lepers even had to shred their clothing so that it would be apparent, even from a distance, that they were a leper. And the rest of their life, even outside the camp, outside the city, Leviticus 13 says that everywhere they went, they had to yell out the words, unclean, unclean, unclean. Everywhere they went to ensure that not even an accident would occur where they would come into contact with a healthy person. Rabbis used to pride themselves in avoiding lepers. One rabbi has, had said that he wouldn't even eat an egg purchased on a street where a leper had walked. Another rabbi prided himself in throwing stones whenever he saw a leper in the distance to try to hurt them. See, to be a leper meant to be a walking corpse. You lose everything as if you were dead, but you were still alive. It's perhaps everyone's greatest nightmare to be a dead man walking. But even worse than the social death, the leper was also deemed dead spiritually. Most people thought lepers were cursed by God, so they were excluded from worship, excluded from the presence of God, excluded from feasts and festivals and celebrations. So here in our story, we see that the leper is desperate. He's so desperate that he actually leaves his home outside the city, breaks through a barricade, breaks through a crowd to get to Jesus. He's willing to chance that Jesus has both the power and the grace to heal him. He takes a huge risk. I mean, what he's doing is completely illegal, and it's absolutely shocking. I mean, though he had this physical pain, it says that he goes to Jesus, he got down on his knees, and Luke says that he fell on his face. And notice what he says to Jesus. If you are willing, you can make me clean. So the leper knew Jesus could heal him. To be cured of leprosy was akin to being raised from the dead. It was believed among the Jews to only be healed through divine intervention. So with the wording, if you will, 
he assumes that Jesus embodies the power and the will of God. And notice also that it doesn't ask to be healed. He asks to be made clean. His primary concern is that he be made clean so he can re-enter Jewish society, being a whole person. He wanted to live a normal life, physically, socially, spiritually. But remember, in coming to Jesus, he's breaking the law. So if Jesus doesn't reach out and do something in that moment, this man is likely to be beaten to death or imprisoned. He's at the mercy of Christ. But look at Jesus' response to the scandalous request in verse 41. It says, Jesus was filled with compassion. See, Jesus is not a king who is somewhat detached or unconcerned as he brings in the kingdom. No, he deeply feels the suffering of his people. And then the most shocking thing happens in the story. In response to the leper, Jesus actually stretches out his hand and touches the leper. Now, Jesus healed many others, right, in the Gospels by merely a word. He can heal at the very thought of healing. But here he touches this man who hasn't been touched by anyone in a long, long time. Why? Because Jesus cares for him. Because Jesus has compassion for him. We see this throughout the Gospels. On at least nine occasions, it says Jesus was moved with compassion or pity for the hurting. Not only does Jesus know you perfectly, but he is moved by any misery that you feel. If you're in a desperate situation, please know that God has compassion for you. He loves you. He cares about every infirmity that you're challenged with or a family member is challenged with from wrist pain to back pain to cancer. The Bible says that he knows every single strand of hair on your head. Jesus cares about your sickness. But not only that, he has authority over it. So secondly, let's look at the king's authority. First, over his sickness. See, when Jesus touches the man's arm, instantly diseased muscles and bones obey. Instantly the leper's nerves obey Christ. If his face had been disfigured, all, all of that disappeared in that moment. If his eyes were damaged or even absent, they reappeared, freshly created. If his eyelashes and eyebrows were gone, they were suddenly back. If his limbs had been worn off, if his throat had been destroyed, if his fingers or toes had been worn away, all of it was instantly restored by Jesus. Jesus is the king of the world who has all authority over all disease. So if you're here today and you're struggling with pain, please know, please know that there is no renegade molecule in your body or in the world. No DNA strand, no nerve disorder that isn't under his authority. If you're suffering today, it's not because Jesus doesn't care. And you're not healed because he can't heal. No, if Jesus can heal this leper, then he can heal you. So if you're suffering today in pain, or you know someone that's suffering, I encourage you to pray. I encourage you to ask God for healing. I encourage you to get others to pray with you and for you. Even this morning, if you're struggling, find someone to pray for you. 
After our services, I would love to look out amongst this room and in the banqueting lobby and see clusters of people praying and beseeching and asking God to provide healing. If you're hurting, don't leave without praying with someone. Please come tell me, come tell Glenn, who's leading our music, one of our elders here, or or another church leader. We want to know. We want to know how you're hurting, and we want to pray for you. And if you get a prayer request from someone on a Friday morning, I encourage you just to pray for them right there on the spot and to continue to pray for them throughout the week. Let's be a church that talks to God about our pain. We want to be a church that doesn't just talk to people about God, but a church that talks to God about people. Not merely in an isolated prayer meeting, but in all of life. Friends, God is glorified when we pray, and God is glorified when he heals us. But God is also glorified when he chooses not to heal us. God is powerful over everything. So when he doesn't heal us, there is a specific reason for this divine delay. Now I've thought about this all week, really the last several weeks. As as you know, I've struggled with an intense nerve disease for the past five years now. It's been difficult, it's been stressful, it's been a hard, hard time for our family. I've been to the hospital 16 times for surgeries and procedures. We've tried high doses of medicine, numerous steroid injections. I've had hundreds of acupuncture needles pierced through my skin. Chiropractors, orthopedic surgeons, occupational therapists, physical therapists. I slept with crazy arm contraptions at night, worn braces, tried creams, patches. We've tried everything. We've tried it all. And this last week, as I reflected on this leper store and reflected on my life, the pain even increased even more. It was intensified. And as I thought about it, I realized that my first inclination, my first tendency was to doubt God's sovereignty and his goodness. I started playing these games in my mind and said, if only I had done this, then I'd be okay. My tendency was to doubt and even forget God's sovereign, authoritative control in my life. Now, here's the realization I had in the midst of that this week, is that if God is compassionate... If God is a compassionate God, and if he has authority to heal, when he doesn't heal, it means he's doing something else in my life. And he's doing something else in your life. God is never doing nothing in your life. He is never doing nothing in your life. We see this in Scripture. We see Paul beg God to take away the thorn in his flesh. He begged God at least on three occasions. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul, you don't need your health. You have my grace. You have me. It's enough. At the pool in Bethsaida in the Gospel of John in chapter 5, Jesus goes up to a pool with swarming with paralytics and those who are sick, and he goes up and he heals only one. Just one. In Scripture, we see Jesus heals other people that are unworthy, who don't care about him, who fail to worship him. See, the point is this. Something bigger is going on with sickness and disease that we don't see. 
God has compassion and authority to fix my mangled nerves. God has authority and compassion to fix your sickness and to heal you, whether miraculously in an instant or miraculously through the hands of a doctor. He has the authority, but for some divine reason, he hasn't yet. Now, please hear this today. God can do miracles. In fact, God does do miracles. But the full and total healing of all of his people and all their diseases and disabilities awaits the second coming of Christ. The kingdom has begun, but it is not fully consummated until Christ comes back. And so we eagerly await that Jesus would come back. We eagerly pray that Jesus would come back and make the wrong things right. Well, as I've thought about this past week, I thought of four things that I came away with regarding healing. I applied these to myself, but I I hope they're helpful for you in whatever situation you or your family or friends find themselves in. Four things that we can do regarding healing. One, I need to pray and ask God for healing. I need to pray and ask God for healing. I realized this week that I've talked about praying to God more than I've actually prayed to God. Secondly, I need to pray and ask God for holiness. I need to ask God for holiness. God is glorified when Christians suffer well. Nowhere in the Bible have I been able to see that God's will for your life is that you be healthy. But 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says that God's will for us is that we be sanctified or holy. And suffering can often be a breeding ground for holiness. Have you noticed that in, sometimes in your brokenness, in your greatest pain, is often when you grow closest to Christ? One man has said, it's often true that the disabled run faster and farther than many of us who have arms and legs. We see throughout church history that many of the greatest men and women that were used by God were those that suffered. Well, thirdly, I need to pray and thank God for heaven. I need to thank God for heaven. I need to remind myself that our time on earth is but a blip on the radar screen of eternity. eternity. I need to be reminded that this life is not as good as it gets. I need to remind myself that I've been saved, that my citizenship is not here on earth, but is in heaven, and that I won't suffer forever. That this is not the end of the story. See, friends, a day will come when there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. That he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. I need to remember the gospel that heaven is secured because Christ died for me. Well, fourthly, I need to pray and ask God the right questions. I need to ask God the right questions. God, if I know you have compassion and if I know you have authority and yet you've chosen not to heal me, God, how can I be transformed into Christ's likeness? God, how can I grow in this situation? God, how can I serve you in this pain? See, God has authority over sickness and he doesn't heal you. And if he doesn't heal you or the ones you love, he has another purpose. So let's not waste it. Let's not waste suffering. Let's have compassion on those who suffer. We see Jesus has compassion for this man. 
If you're feeling good, if you're feeling healthy, if God has blessed you with that, I encourage you to have compassion on those that are hurting around you. To model what Christ has modeled for us. Well, on this second point of Christ's authority, not only does Christ have authority over sickness, but he also has authority over the law. See, after healing the leper, Jesus responds by giving the leper a command to go to a priest to be declared clean. Now, why does Jesus do this? Didn't Jesus already cleanse him? And Jesus touches the leper, but he doesn't go to the priest. Wouldn't Jesus have to go to the priest to be declared clean? Well, what we see is that the unclean becomes truly clean. It's not done by the leper himself. It's not by the, done by the priest. No, Jesus is saying here that I am true cleanliness. I don't need a priest. And you don't really need a priest either because only I can make you clean. But Jesus wanted the priests to know that the Messiah was present and to make them face his power. See, leprosy was incurable by human ability. And all believed that it could only be cured by God himself. The priest should have been able to recognize the healing of the leper as a sign that the Messiah, the king, was present. It should have been an announcement to the priests that the king has come. Now Jesus heals him and shows his authority over the law. The law can't make you clean. Obedience never brings you to Christ. The priest can only declare someone clean. Only God could actually make you clean. So I pray that you never hear from us here at Redeemer, just try harder, just do better, just obey more and you'll be accepted by God. No, what we need to say is trust Christ, embrace Christ, love Christ, worship Christ. See, by loving Christ, then, then we will live differently. We aren't holy according to the law so that God will then accept us. No, we obey because God loves us and already accepts us on the basis of Christ's work. Now, the law was there, in fact, to crush us. It's there even today for us to crush us, to show us that we can't save ourselves. That we can't do it on our own. That we can't make ourselves well. No, we rest in, rest in Christ's authority over the law and over the priests. Now, Jesus still sends this man to go to the priest. He's still affirming the law of Moses and offering up sacrifices because Jesus hasn't died yet. So the sacrificial system is still in place. It didn't, but it didn't save. It did not save. It never did. The sacrifices pointed to the death of Christ on the cross. That you needed a substitute who would heal you of the disease in your heart. We saw that in the passage that Horst read for us earlier out of Ezekiel. Now Ezekiel pointed to the cleansing that we need. Not merely physically healing or socially healing, but we needed to be healed of a spiritual disease that could only come from God himself. We need a new heart. Well, thirdly, the third thing we see about the king is that the king has humility. Notice the passage doesn't end with the healing of the leper in verse 42. Now, why did Mark add the details of verses 43 through 45? Why did Jesus tell the leper to be quiet? Have you wondered this? 
Maybe you discussed this in your small groups this past week. See, I thought Jesus is telling us to go out to everyone, to proclaim the gospel to the world, to preach the gospel to the nations, to make disciples of all people. Why is he saying to them now, be clean and shh, don't tell anyone what I did. The text actually implies that he was sternly warned not to tell everyone, not to tell anyone why. Well, I believe it has to do with the way in which Jesus brings his kingdom to earth. See, his ministry is more like that of a stealth bomber. He will accomplish his mission to destroy the ultimate enemies of sin and death, but he will do it in a way that's not so obvious, through the humiliation of Christ on the cross. See, they've been looking for a Messiah for 400 years since the end of Malachi. They were expecting him. They were waiting for him. And they had read these prophecies of the king who would set them free. The prophecies of a king who would set up a kingdom. And here comes a king with the power to do so. A king who heals people of diseases. A king who can raise you from the dead. A king who can heal your leprosy. He can speak out a word. And he can slay out an entire army. The king has come. Let's go. Let's conquer the world. They were, they were ready for this earthly king. But see, they had forgotten some other prophecies in the Bible. Prophecies like Isaiah 53 that Lenny preached a few weeks ago. Prophecies that say the Messiah is going to die. Yes, everything will be made right, but that will happen only after he dies and only fully after he comes back again. See, the people in Jesus' day wanted a physical deliverer so bad that they were looking past the spiritual deliverer who was there with them. Jesus doesn't want them to think that he's there to overthrow the Roman government and be an earthly king or military and political leader or ruler. No, he isn't trying to be famous for his miracles. He doesn't want a big crowd. No, the king This king, while clearly demonstrating his authority in every way, shows that humility, lowliness, and suffering are the currency of the kingdom. This is unlike any other kingdom on this earth, and it's unlike any other religious program. And in bringing this kingdom in, this humble king would face much affliction. That's the fourth point. The king has affliction. The king has Affliction. Notice in verse 45, we see that the leper disobeys, doesn't he? He began freely spreading the news that he had been made clean. At this point, you may have questions like, is this man really saved? Did he really believe in Jesus? He disobeys at his first opportunity. Well, in the Gospel of Luke, we see that this leper calls Jesus Lord. In Matthew, he uses the word normally to mean to worship in reference to God. And it seemed like the leper seemed to trust God to break all cultural and legal norms to go up to him. And we don't even know if he ever went to the priests. It doesn't say. Did he eventually obey? Well, we don't know these answers to the question. It's not in the text. But before we're too hard on this guy, remember his suffering and remember how easy it is for us to be disobedient in the Christian life ourselves. And to answer this question is not really the point of the passage anyway. Clearly, this man had no doubt that Jesus had power. No, the point Mark is making is that 
is not this man's disobedience, but that the result of his disobedience is that Jesus became the first century Palestinian equivalent of a celebrity mocked or mobbed, I should say, by paparazzi. Everybody came out to see Jesus. Everyone came out to be with him. Now, you know all the talk this past month in Dubai was about Tom Cruise being here. I'm sure you read those stories and saw the pictures. You know, people were doing their best just to get a glimpse of this movie star, maybe to get his autograph or to get a picture with him. You know, I would have loved to be there at the Burj Khalifa when he surprised everyone by rappelling down onto the observation deck. Not so much that I could get a picture or see him, but I could take a picture of all the people mobbing him and being excited to see him trying to get his autograph. But so it was with Jesus. He became a huge celebrity in in these days. Everyone wanted to get a glimpse of this miracle worker. Everyone wanted to see what he could do. Those that were suffering from diseases wanted to be healed, and everybody would mob him. So much so that the text says Jesus could not even enter a city, any city. Now, because of the leper's sin, we see that the leper and Jesus trade places. Now, the man who used to be in lonely places is now in the city. And the man who used to be in the city is now in the lonely places. Do you see that? Here we have a picture, a glimpse of what's going to happen at the end of Jesus' life. Because of our sin, Christ will be crucified outside of the city gates on the garbage dump. He has taken the place of the lepers. He becomes unclean. He is excluded so that we can be taken in. He paid our penalty, and our uncleanliness goes to him. God made him sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, if you're a follower of Christ and you're here today, please know that Jesus has traded places with you. He suffered and died so that we could be given new life. Fellow Christian, have you forgotten this as you go through your trials, as you go through your physical pain, as you go through the stress of your life? Have you forgotten that Jesus has traded places with you? I urge you to reflect on this today. I urge you to reflect on this throughout your week, to remind yourself of what Christ has done for you. If you're not a Christian and you're with us, we are delighted that you've joined us. Please keep coming. We're so, so glad that you're here. But I urge you in a, the most loving way I can, I urge you to turn to Christ. Every single person in all of human history, you and me, we've all looked for our own Savior apart from Christ. And if you're here today and you're not looking to Christ, you're looking for something else to save you or to give you significance and security. But you can't look at anything to bring you that. You can't look for your spouse to be your savior. You can't look for your kids to bring you significance. You can't look for your job or bank account to bring you security or reasoning to save you. You can't depend on your good deeds to redeem you. None of this will save you. None of these things can bring you everlasting peace with God. Look to Christ. Friends, look to Christ. It's what you've been looking for all along. If you haven't come to him yet, may today be the day that you repent of your sin and believe in Jesus to be saved. The Bible is clear. God's word is clear that salvation comes through Christ alone. For Jesus is the king of the world.
Let's pray and thank God for this king. Father, we want to thank you this morning that Jesus Christ has exchanged places with us. That he traded places with us and took our sin and our judgment and our punishment. We thank you that he became an outcast and was forsaken by you in order that we might be received and accepted by you. May we marvel at your work today. And whether we are healthy or hurting, depressed or rejoicing, angry or delighted, may we come to you as the one who has compassion on us, as the one who knows every single hair on our heads. We thank you for this great King Jesus. And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen.